Hi there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. I was given as a gift a burner thingy. It's round, it has a switch, and it gets warm. Now the packaging says it's for a scented candle. You put the candle, one of those great big ones, you put the candle on the burner thingy and it warms up enough to send the scent around the room. I guess like aromatherapy or an air freshener or something. The packaging says in no uncertain terms that this is not to be used for a cup of coffee. <laughs> I want to know why they think it's totally safe to put a candle, you know, made of wax on an electric burner that, you know, heats up, which could have a certain effect on a candle made of wax. But, you know, don't you dare put a cup of coffee on there to keep warm on your desk in your writing room. Okie dokie. As my junior high school cooking teacher pointed out to the whole class, Krista does not follow instructions well. Gatekeeper's Deception by Krista Wallace Chapter 26 How He Felt About Her Why don't you come and meet her? Dear heart, your real mother... Come and meet her. They won't miss you. They've carried on without you. Swimming through darkness. Hazy brightness far away. Meet your true mother. Learn everything about yourself. Swim. Must get through. A shimmering archway in the air before them. Pushing darkness aside. Tall woman. Dark curls. Misha. Derry looked up as a movement caught his attention. He rushed over to where Kierre lay, eyes wide open, seeing something that wasn't there. He passed a hand over her face, and she did not blink. Kierre, he whispered. It's me, Misha. From his lordship, my lady. The serpent is a symbol of undying love. It is done. I see myself in the glass. I am Misha. Tall woman, dark curls, hand outstretched. Derry. Derry stroked Kier's fiery forehead. Just, Gellin, pour the tea, quickly. Kier's arms strained against the bindings that held her to the travoy. She struggled against something that frightened her. Her eyes widened in panic. That woman was killing Alon Mare. That woman was killing Derry. Misha! Kier screamed. It's all right, Kier, it's all right, Derry said, holding her head steady with both hands. Hear me, it's me, Derry. Jaskelin rushed over, cradling a steaming cup in both hands. Skimnoddle stood aside, thumbs crooked through his belt loops, watching with concern. Derry, Kier said, though she looked through him. Yes, he pleaded silently. Who? he began cautiously. Who is Misha? Misha, she repeated, and to his surprise, a tear leaked out of her eye and trickled down her cheek. 
Derry bent and rested his head next to hers, careful not to touch her right shoulder where the muscle had not yet healed. Whatever ghost plagued her, it had moved on, and Kier's urgent breathing slowed to normal. Her limbs relaxed. As Derry lifted his head, the mild breeze cooled his face, and he realized his own eyes had leaked a little, too. Jeskelin held Kier's head while Derry spoon-fed her another dose of the tea that kept her asleep, mercifully yet cruelly, Derry thought with a grim sigh. He didn't like to think how she would react upon fully waking and learning that so many days of her life had passed without her knowledge. Neither did he like to imagine how she would suffer through the jolting and jouncing of the travoy if he allowed her to feel every vibration and jerk as it shuddered through each and every bone. It would cause him equal pain, he was sure, just to watch her. A bit selfish, really. "'Nearly ready to go, Captain,' Skimnoddle said with uncharacteristic brevity. Whatever game he played when he spoke with his usual grandeur was tiresome even for him in these tense days. They had slept on a rocky path, cliff with overhanging pines on one side, drop of about twenty-five feet covered with more pines on the other. Throughout the whole day of dragging the travoy through the stony up-and-down terrain, Derry wished he hadn't sent Harley along with Fennel. They could have used an extra hand here. It would have been much easier to carry her. In places, the path was so narrow and winding that not only did someone have to guide Trig, but another body was needed behind the carrier to guide it around the corners and to prevent Kier from rolling off. There had been no rain, for which Derry was thankful to whatever god might have been listening. He worried that it was coming, though, for in spite of the approaching summer, the haze of clouds felt moist and faintly oppressive. What little breeze there was smelled damp through the pines. The heaviness of the air added to Derry's growing mood of despair. He put the cup back in his saddlebag and tightened a couple of Donegill's straps. "'Thanks, old fellow,' Derry said, patting the great animal on his flank before climbing on board." "'The men are asking if we stop to camp soon, Major.' Gilvray shook himself out of his concentrated reverie. "'Yes, in about an hour.' "'We've pushed the horses hard, sir.' Gilvray frowned. "'I am aware of that, Lieutenant. I intend to get within two hours' distance to the pass before we halt tonight. That way we'll make it halfway through the pass tomorrow.' "'Sir?' Marcus turned back to tell the men." Gilvray surmised that they would not know they were being pursued, so they would not hurry. They should catch up in a couple of days, unless... There was a possibility that Kier and her friends were in a hurry, to save a life. He hadn't believed them at the time, but maybe it was true. I've got to give the colonel a culprit. He had less than a week to apprehend her. Do you know what this is, Misha? No, milady. The serpent is a symbol of undying love, she tells me. She puts it on and centers the circular snake on her chest. It is done. Please get my looking glass off that table, Misha. I want to see what it looks like. I go back later to help her undress. She still wears the serpent. Good. As I'm leaving, I see the looking glass on the dressing table. I walk over. I will put out the candles. My back is to her as she climbs into bed. I slip the mirror into my apron pocket. I need it more than she does now. Kier whimpered and Duskellen flinched on her behalf as the travoy bumped over an exposed root in the path. Sorry, Kier, Duskellen said. 
It was the third day since they'd separated from Fennel and the others. Derry stared hopefully off into the trees southeastward, as if by staring intently enough he might see their progress. Had they reached the tree yet? Derry forced himself to turn away. There was no use in fretting about the others. He and his party were nearing the end of the pass and would be through the southern tip of the mountain range by midday tomorrow at the latest. Thank Aidan. The going would be much easier once they were out of the mountains. They camped under a rocky ledge, sparsely sheltered in front by a grove of elm trees. After a bite of supper, Duskellen lowered himself into his meditative position off to one side. "'I'll watch, Skimnoddle,' Derry said. "'I don't feel drowsy.' Skimnoddle shrugged and settled down under an elm on the far side of the fire. The Travoy nestled under an overhang of rock for the night. Derry checked Kier's pulse all around her broken bones. He tucked blankets around her and laid a hand on her forehead. Satisfied that Kier's breathing and heartbeat were regular, Derry pulled the rose out of his saddlebag where he'd hidden it. Jeskellen, I need your expert opinion. The mage nodded, always prepared to express his expert opinion. I am not certain, of course, Derry continued in a low voice. You see, I have been wondering about whether there was a cause of Kier's accident. Jeskellen raised his eyebrows. Go on. Derry sat next to him at the fireside. Kier asked me not to say anything, but I am quite concerned, and I am sure she would not mind under the circumstances. Fair enough. What is it? Jeskellen said. Kami gave Kier a parting gift, a white rose. He pulled it out and held it up so Jeskellen could look at it without touching until he'd drawn some conclusions as to its safety. Kami asked her to keep it close to her heart, which Kier has done— I know you've been saying you sensed magic on her. This is one of the items I think is causing that feeling. Jeskellen held out a palm toward the rose. He whistled low, nodding. Several times since receiving this, Kier has suffered some sort of trouble, Derry went on, usually isolated to herself. He outlined Kier's mishaps from the earthquake to her terrible fall. I have a concern that it is the rose that has caused Kier so much misfortune. Jeskellen chewed on his lip and thought. Why do you suppose Kami would wish to do Kier any harm? I thought he was quite taken with her. Derry thrust aside the feeling that comment produced in his stomach. Yes, and you know what else he kept saying. Everything has its price. Do you remember that? Perhaps he gave Kier the information we needed and he's making her pay the price. Jeskellen looked doubtful. Why, then, fill our saddlebags with food and supplies? Besides, I thought the price she paid was the evening she spent with him. Derry shook his head. I know, it's just... Derry wasn't sure how to bring this up. Kier had shared this in confidence. I worry that she may have offended him in some way. He had to keep his promise, but perhaps he is making her pay the price for something else. Jeskellen's expression was quizzical. You are not making any sense. Derry got to his feet. I'm not sure why Kami would wish her ill, but you know how she is. She could have said some typically impertinent thing and insulted him the way she did with Fennel's father. She can be too glib. Who knows what kind of comment would offend the most powerful wizard in Rydris? Jeskellen. He stopped and knew he had to tell the mage to make his point clear. Jeskellen. Kami asked Kier to stay with him. The mage's eyes were like two full moons at midnight. He pressed his fingertips together. Stay? With him? There? Derry nodded. 
and she refused him. Jaskelin said nothing. So you see, he may have been offended by that, Jaskelin suggested, as if it were his idea. Yes, Derry agreed. You had better let me take a look at that. Derry handed him the rose, still fresh, as if it had been cut from its root only moments ago, its petals still firm and silky. It was not closed tightly as a bud, but it had not opened any more than when Kier had first shown it to him. The Moabi held it carefully and turned it gently in his fingertips, studying it from all angles. His face was pensive. "'A white rose, a gift from Kami,' he murmured. "'How appropriate!' He paused reflectively. It is indeed magic, he went on, and undoubtedly possesses a powerful spell. I believe I can study it and learn what kind of spell it is. Since it came from Kami, I shall have to concentrate very hard, and it may take quite some time. I will need absolute silence for the rest of the evening, and I will require extra hours of rest to regain my strength afterward. I thought as much. We have no reason to fear for our safety here, I believe, said Derry. You can take all the time you need. He said the words, but hoped Jaskelin would not need very much time. Even stopping to sleep felt like an indulgence. Jaskelin sat cross-legged with his back to the fire, the rose held in the tips of his delicate fingers, almost as if he were not touching it at all. He stared at it intently, trying to read what was stored inside it. Derry glanced over to where Skimnoddle slept a little distance beyond the fire and settled himself down a few feet from Kier. One ear open for approaching danger, he stared upward through the darkness of the elms to the cloud-studded sky. Stars peeked out and were hidden again as the wind pressed the cloudy coverlets toward the west. If that damned rose caused Kier these injuries from which he'd likely never fully recover, he'd... Well, he didn't know what he'd do. He shifted his gaze from the stars to the travoy on which she lay relatively peacefully. Suddenly he was struck with another desire, one he had not felt in a long time. Getting up slowly to avoid disturbing Jaskelin, he moved to his saddlebag and withdrew a loosely bound book. Leafing through its many occupied pages, memories returned to him of people and places he had not seen in many months. Their faces looked up from where he had captured them and spoke to him of other days. He fished out his charcoal pencil from a pocket of the bag and returned to where he had been sitting. When he found the next vacant page, he allowed his eyes to move over to Kier again and placed his pencil on the paper. Derry started and nearly dropped the book. He had fallen into a doze and had dreamed he was walking along the ramparts of Eckert Castle and tripped on an uneven place in the brick. The full moon was overhead now, and there were several fewer blank pages in Derry's sketchbook. He tried his hand at drawing Jaskelin while meditating, but the mage's back was to him and his memory couldn't provide him with a clear enough image. He'd had more success drawing Kier with that impish expression she'd worn during her introduction to Kian. He picked up his pencil where it had slipped to the ground and got up to check on Kier. Jaskelin had not moved and the captain wondered at the mage's ability to remain motionless for so long. He'd have done well as a guard at Eckert Castle, Terry remarked. Beads of sweat had formed again on Kier's forehead, and her body twitched occasionally. Derry bathed her face and soaked a clean rag in the tea that eased her pain. He held it up to her lips and squeezed some drops into her mouth. She accepted them with a sleepy tongue. A sound across the fire startled Derry, and he turned around, hand on his hilt. But it was Jaskelin. The mage was inhaling deeply and breathing out through pursed lips. 
It was the hiss of the intake that had caught Derry's attention after so long a silence. Jeskelin stood up slowly, straightening his legs and rolling his spine up vertebra by vertebra, and finally raising his head. He stretched and shook himself to stir the blood that had slowed to the pace of cool molasses during his meditations. He handed Derry the rose, and the captain offered him a drink of water, which he accepted. "'I have learnt what the rose's power is,' Jeskelin announced proudly, though his voice hinted at his weariness. Derry waited patiently while he paused for effect. "'You were right, in that the rose made considerable contribution to Kier's mishaps of the last weeks.' Derry braced himself. "'Not at all in the way you suspected, my friend.' The mage's dark eyes shadowed with gravity. "'The rose holds a very strong spell of protection, Derry. It is my belief now that without it, Kier would very likely have been killed by that fall, if not a long time ago. It might also explain why she did not fall ill when the rest of us did. Our friend must have made an even greater impression on Kami than we thought. He has shown by this gift that he desires very much for Kier to stay alive.' Derry's eyes were wide and his jaw had dropped. He picked it up again. But why? He wondered out loud after a moment. It seems very unlike Kami to show preference for anyone. I agree, Jeskelin said. He keeps to himself, lives only for himself, and certainly does not owe anything to anyone. I find it rather odd that he would put himself out in this way. <sighs> Derry exhaled deeply. Jeskelin required several hours to regain his strength and circulate energy from himself into his staff and back to restore them both. He returned to his meditative position on the far side of the fire. Derry picked up the rose from where he'd left it on the rock and twirled it in his fingers, avoiding the thorns. Instead of returning it to his own saddlebag, he slipped it back within her leather cuirass, where he had found it, and it could do the most good. He brushed her hair off her forehead, willing the lines of pain to smooth over. Pulling himself away, he picked up the water skin of tea and sat next to Kier's belongings. He opened her saddlebag, and as he tucked the water skin inside, he noticed a flat oblong object wrapped in black cloth. Curiously, he drew it out, glancing over at Kier as if she might suddenly awaken. Derry unwound the cloth and gazed in wonder at the object. It was a small hand mirror, framed in gold, with pearls inlaid in the handle. He turned it over and traced the etchings on the back, watching the way the firelight danced on the shiny surface. Then his heart stopped in horror. Just at the top of the handle, above a diamond-shaped design of pearls, were engraved the initials A.M.B. Alon Mare Barthelen Derry flung the cloth around the mirror again and practically tossed it back into the saddlebag. He retreated away from it as though it might explode like a fireball. Madness! His hands were slippery with sweat and he wiped them on his jerkin. How did she... But he knew the answer, and he knew what it meant. He'd asked for solid evidence. Derry didn't bother waking Skimnoddle to replace him on watch. He paced around, ate a little, and checked Kier again. Kneeling next to her, he brushed the untidy hair away from her face. How could you, Kier? Why? He looked over at the saddlebag, imagining the black-wrapped package within. I could take it out right now. I could fling it down the hillside and no one would ever have to know. 
Derry jumped to his feet and pressed the heels of his hands into his eyes. What was he thinking? Had he lost his mind? He would never be able to look Dunvarin or Kean in the eye if he buried this knowledge. But if he didn't, would he ever be able to look Kier in the eye? He sat down again, hard. Despair flooded through him. What did it matter? He'd already destroyed their friendship. Reparation was now an unattainable goal. If she was guilty, he would simply get over the loss. Captain Morant stared at Kier's sleeping form for a long time. Finally, he picked up his sketchbook and began to capture the lines of pain around Kier's eyes as they were eerily shadowed in the firelight. He focused on her lips, which were parted slightly, her breath coming shallowly between them. Through his mind and his hand, the pencil was an extension of his vision. The charcoal replicated her untended hair, unwilling or unable to smooth it. Though still tied back, it was loose and unkempt, and wisps of it formed a delicate frame around the face that, for the first time ever, looked helpless. When his hand stopped moving, Derry looked at his drawing. He stared at it, seeing how accurately he had duplicated the image of the unconscious woman. His brow furrowed out of concern for her, out of anger for what she had done, out of frustration at his inability to help her, and because of the claw that twisted his heart as he gazed at her and began to understand how he felt about her. The sun was rising as he returned the sketchbook to his saddlebag with a trembling hand. Gilvray sensed dawn's approach just before the soft glow of light awoke on the mountain tops to the east. He roused his men, allowing them only a moment to eat and prepare to travel. They would enter Pine Ridge Pass by morning, and we must be through by tomorrow night. It would be tough going, but they must make haste if they were to close the gap. Colonel Greenberg would return to the outpost in only a few days. What would Chada tell him? I should have left Marcus there. He thought of the Sea of Kun. He pushed Kier Halliden's face aside and thought of his lovely young wife, wondering how soon he'd see her again. They had made excellent time. By early afternoon, Fennel led his party around the last wall of rock and tree to reveal the entrance. He felt certain they'd been watched for at least that whole day. All manner of beings guarded the Tree of Life and all the paths to it, on the cliffs next to them as well as across the gap to the eastern range. Every bird, every squirrel, even some of the bees Fennel suspected of being guardians. "'If my geography is correct,' he announced to Janik and the others as they reined in next to him, "'my father's lands are a mere three days' flight east of where we stand.' Janik looked puzzled. "'We've come full circle, then?' "'Very nearly,' Fennel replied, pointing. "'You see that arm of the mountain? "'Beyond that is the southwestern tip of the Donnan Forest, "'and if you flew eastward within the forest, Plicatha would appear below you.' "'Well, I'll be skewered.' the dwarf said. You figure your doc can smell us from there? Fennel laughed. Maybe if Kier were with us, he could. Janik's eyes narrowed. What do you think? Has he recovered from her yet? Fennel just smiled and nudged Layout forward. A handful of elven guards was scattered across from cliff face to cliff face, the entrance to the valley of the Tree of Life. Ten standards of the guarded realm made a colorful gateway. As Fennel and his companions approached, a guard stepped forward, her hand held out in front to halt the travelers. Fennel dismounted and walked the last few paces, recognizing her as a companion from his own earlier days as a realm guard. I think her name is Gwareth? 
State your name and business, the guard said. Fennel smiled awkwardly. Why had she used the Rydrish tongue when he was clearly a wood elf like herself? Gladly, he said in insistent elvish. As I think you know, I am Fennel Fearon, son of the Lady and Lord of the Donan Forest. Did Gwareth's eyes widen at the mention of Fennel's name? Well, naturally she's heard of my mother and father. My companions are Janik, son of Flicka, daughter of Jera, and— he hesitated, having forgotten to think of how he ought to refer to the others. Uh, Hunter and Harley of the Guarded Realm. Business, the guard said, a little more curtly than necessary, Fennel thought. We are on an official errand for Lords Key and Bartholin and Valraker of Eckert, both, as I'm sure you are aware, of the Southern Alliance. We come to collect the final ingredient in what we hope will be the cure for a deadly illness that has affected Lord Kean's wife. And the Tree of Life is needed for this cure? Gwareth asked redundantly, continuing in Rydrish. Why did the guard sound disdainful? Yes, Gwareth, Fennel explained patiently. The guard flinched only slightly at the use of her name. We need her sap. The guard cried an order, and the rest of the guards snapped to attention. Her voice rang loud and clear between the arms of the valley. Hear me, Fennel Fearon of the Donnan Forest. You and your companions are forbidden entrance to the Valley of the Tree of Life. Please turn around and return the way you came. Stunned, Fennel couldn't disguise his confusion and concern. He looked about him at his friends who stared back, equally dumbfounded. But, but, why? he stammered in Rydrish, aware of how childish it sounded. By whose decree? Even as he asked, he knew what the answer would be, and his elven heart dropped. By order of your father! With head held high, Fennel leapt onto Layout's back and turned him around. He did not glance back as he led his little party back the way they had come. Frederick came up alongside Fennel with a frantic look in his eye. What, that's it? Harley was still watching the elf, waiting for a response. "'Have you taken leave of your senses?' Janet growled from behind. "'We can't give up now!' "'Silence!' Fennel barked. They obeyed. Fennel waited until they had rounded the spur of the mountains and were out of sight of the guards. Then he steered Layout toward the tree-covered hills and stopped only when they were surrounded by balsam firs. The late afternoon sun was not visible from the north side of the mountain, and the milky cloud cover added to the feeling of twilight among the trees.' Fennel dismounted and felt like smashing something with his fist. Instead, he paced back and forth a few times, shaking out his hands and smelling the coolness of the air. Instinctively, he noted that rain was threatening. He muttered under his breath and whipped out his bastard sword. Skorik! he yelled, slashing at the branch of a mountain ash. Only the leaves were sliced off. Harley raised his eyebrows at Janik. I don't know what it means, but it didn't sound polite the dwarf said. Fennel sheathed his sword, and having erupted some of his rage, he turned to his men. We are most certainly not giving up. Janik glowered. Was it because of Kier that he won't allow us through? Fennel sighed. Apparently his words about Dregor's evil penetrating Donan's complacent peace had affected his father very deeply indeed. He chuckled humorlessly. <laughs> no, Janik, it was not because of Kier, but because of me. What are we going to do? Frederick said. I cannot imagine they would let us through now, even without you. I have not lived most of my life in the guarded realm for nothing. Now listen up. The old Fennel would have given up and returned to the main group empty-handed. 
This fennel had stood up to his father. This fennel was now prepared to defy him. Had a few kind of shorter chapters in a row here where the, the suitable ending just happened to be at a, at a slightly lower page number, but um, it will start picking up again. And as we cruise towards the end of the book, some of the chapters are a bit longer coming up. So Matt has received his first dose of the vaccine. Yay! There's still a long way to go. I haven't had mine. I'll wait. I will wait my turn. But it is starting to feel like there is an end in sight. She says, even as the case numbers continue to skyrocket, mostly because of the variants, things are not yet under control out there. So, vaccinated or not, please mask up and stay apart. That's still the best way to get through this. Also, just in case you were wondering, Rush Hour 2, turns out, does not stand the test of time as much as we hoped. Thank you so much to my family. I'm grateful for all of you, Matt, David and Heather, and Maggie. Thanks to David and Sharon. Big shout out to the original six. Hope you guys are doing well. And thanks very much to you for listening. Now, go be fantastic.